So I want to talk to you tonight about the promises of God. And as we're thinking about that, preparing for that, I want to tell you a little story to set up where we're going. Uh, back this summer, I got the opportunity to go to Kenya, Africa on a mission trip, and it was really, really awesome. And I was there about a week and then uh, flew back. And when I was flying back, whoever planned this trip, uh, I, don't, I don't know who the specific people were, you know, is it with a group called the Timothy Initiative? Uh, whoever in their office planned the logistics, did a wonderful job. And uh, I had a direct flight from Nairobi, Kenya to Paris, France. And then from, I had a direct flight from Paris, France, nonstop to Cincinnati. And so it was about as simple as it can get, pretty awesome. So, and it was a, it was a you know, problem-free trip. It was just a beautiful thing, a very blessed trip. And so we flew from Nairobi to, to Paris, and I went and found the gate for the Cincinnati flight. I sat down, and I was just chilling. I had about an hour, hour and a half to kill, just waiting to get on the next plane. I was excited to see my family. Uh, I don't remember what time it was, Paris time, but I was, you know, it was going to be about 3 p.m. Cincinnati time when I got home. Uh, the following day, and um, as I'm sitting there waiting for the, to get on the plane, they come over the loudspeakers, and uh, they said, uh, they basically explained that they had had some other flights canceled, and they had to move around those passengers, and therefore, our flight from Paris to Cincinnati was overbooked. They had about 10 extra people on the flight, and so if you already had a ticket, you weren't going to lose your spot, but here's what they were proposing. They wanted to make a deal. They said, we're looking for 10 people who are willing to give up your seat on this flight uh, that's leaving in an hour. And if you give up your seat, we will give you $800 in gift cards. And all you have to do is give up your seat and then wait. You need to wait five or six more hours. There will be another flight. And the, kind of the catch is that flight is not direct. It'll go to Washington, D.C. But then we have another flight. It's going to go to D.C., to Cincinnati. You're still going to be home by about 10 p.m. And so what they were proposing is if you took this deal, they were making a promise to these people. Ten people they were looking for. And the promise was this. We will. Everybody say Will. We will give you $800 if, everybody say if, there's a condition. You know, Delta Airlines is not going to make very much money if they just go around handing out $800 to everybody, right? That's not how it works. You're buying something from them. So they're making a promise. This is a special circumstance. If you will do something, they will give you something in return. I want to push pause on the story. And can we all, how many of you agree that airlines can be unreliable, right? This is important. I, I was going to go on about how many of you have had your luggage lost or how many of you have had a flight delayed or canceled or how many, I didn't have to. Everybody, else, yeah, okay. We all can complain about the airlines, but we won't because we're not allowed to because scripture says not to complain. And so, but we agree that they can be unreliable. And so when I heard this proposition, do you know what I did? Nothing. Because I was like, 800 bucks, I mean, that's pretty cool, but I want to get home. And what are these gift cards? You know, I'm thinking like it's going to be to like all these different random stores that we don't have in our area, and it's not going to work, and you can't use it online, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to lose out on this deal. And so I'm just thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. And so I wait about 10 more minutes. They come back on the loudspeaker. Guess how many people have taken them up on their deal? Zero. They said, 
excuse us passengers, and they make the whole announcement again. They said, if, we're looking for 10 people, if you will take this deal, we will give you $1,000 in gift cards. And then they went on to explain how you can get the gift cards. And they're like, all you have to do is fill out a form, you get a link, you fill out the gift cards you want. And I was like, oh, there they are. There's these, there are these weird gift cards, weird stores. And they're like, or it can just be Visa or MasterCard gift cards. And then you get them in the mail. And so please, we really are looking for 10 people. And I was like, well, I'll at least go see what's going on, you know, with this. And so I'm like, I got, you know, I didn't have to be home at 3 p.m. My day was already over right at that point. So I was like, I'll just see if this, what's going on with this. So I go check it out. I'm like, are you? And I ask the questions and they're like, yeah, no, it's this simple. It's, it's this, we do this all the time when these things happen. I'm like, okay, I didn't know this. I'm like, all right. Two more people walk up while I'm checking, checking it out. In the end, only three people total took them up on this deal. And because over the next 30 minutes or so, they were still trying to up the ante to get more people, they got up to $1,500 and gift cards, and they said, because you guys uh, are, are signing up for this, I thought, man, they're gonna, they're gonna like give you where you got in at, you know? So like, man, I'm only getting a thousand. But no, we, at the end, they were like, no, we'll give you the full 1500. That's what we said. So we're, we're gonna do it. And I was like, okay, this sounds pretty good. And you, I trust you, attendant here, making this happen in Paris, France. But I'm not sure I trust Delta Airlines, all right? Nothing against Delta if you watch this later, but I'm just saying, I, I wasn't sure because airlines can be unreliable, right? So I took the deal. Uh, I, got, I ended up getting home uh, a little later than 10 p.m. I got home about 1 a.m. But in the end, it worked out. And I thought, we'll see. We'll see, right? It wasn't even two weeks later. probably a week and a half later. got a large manila envelope, opened it up, pulled it out. There were six Visa and MasterCard gift cards for $250, and Delta came through on their promise. A promise is only as good as the person or the organization that is making the promise. And again, nothing against Delta, but that's why only three people took them up on this deal. Because we all know airlines can be unreliable. You've probably heard a pastor or some Christian in your life talk about the promises of God at some point. And I feel a holy weight of glory over about what I'm about to say. When we say there are promises from God in the Bible... You have to understand tonight, we are not talking about an airline. We are not talking about the shady used car salesman who promises you a good deal or the heavily accented cold call salesman who's promising you the best extended warranty on your used vehicle that you could ever experience. We are talking about promises from the one whose words create worlds. His words are so powerful when he speaks, stuff gets created. So if we're talking about Delta making you a promise, 
or one of your friends making you a promise or a spouse making you a promise or a parent making you a promise that maybe they broke. Maybe you've learned, maybe life's taught you people can be unreliable. You have to understand the Lord is holy, holy, holy. Do you know what it means? Entirely different, set apart, unlike anything or anyone you've ever met in your life. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? When God promises you something, you can count on it. Joshua found this out. And at the end of his life as a leader in the nation of Israel, Joshua 21 verse 45, he said, not, all, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one, everyone say everyone. Everyone Every was fulfilled. Every single one. I believe the enemy, our spiritual enemy, has a propaganda campaign against the word of God. And the propaganda campaign that he is trying to work through the spirit of religion is he wants the world to think, he wants people to think, he wants you and I to think that this is a book of rules, that this is God's rule book. I would propose to you tonight, this is actually God's promise book. In the Old Testament, there are 613 rules or laws for the Jewish nation. 613. Count them. 613. Do you know how many promises are in this book? In the mid-1900s, a Canadian school teacher named Everett R. Storms, who is a devout Christian who studied the word of God exhaustively, got curious about that. He noticed, he had read through the Bible 27 times at this point in his life. And he noticed there's a lot of promises in there. And so he got curious. And on his 27th time reading through the scripture, he decided to go slowly and meticulously count every single promise from God when God is speaking to people in the Bible. And do you know how many he came up with? It's way, somebody said 365, and it is my great joy to tell you tonight, whoever said that, it is way better than that. There are 7,487 promises from God in his word to people. Everett also counted all the promises from people to God and from people to people, but we're not talking about those tonight. There are 7,487 seven promises in the word of God to us as people. And I'm telling you, every single one of those promises is way better than $1,500 in gift cards from Delta Airlines. And the one, the one giving them is way more reliable. His word never fails. His word stands forever. 
He doesn't change like shifting shadows. He's not a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. He doesn't lie or change his mind like people do. In Psalm 91 alone, there are 26 promises from God of things he says he will do. Everybody say will. Will. I will do this. That's a promise. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So if we as people, if we say, yes, I will, you just committed to something, right? Man, if you have kids, you know, if you say maybe, we'll see, you just committed to something, all right? And they will hold you to it. And then they learn that when you're like, well, I said maybe, we'll see. And they're like, so the next time you say we'll see, they're like, uh-uh, <laughs> yes or no. God says he will do 7,487 things for us in Scripture if. The promises of God are conditional. And so as an example, we we don't have time to look at all 7,487 promises tonight. I wish we did. If we spent one minute on each one, we would be here for over five days. And yes, I did that math this week, and you can go check me on it. This is what pastors do when they're researching their sermons. I'm like, how long would that take? Okay. (laughs) So I want to focus on Psalm 91. 26 promises from God in Psalm 91. And as we read through this tonight, I want you to notice two things as we read through Psalm 91. I want you to notice, number one, the conditions of the promise. If I did not agree to give up my seat and take another flight and wait longer, those were the conditions of Delta Airlines, I would not have received $1,500. So I want you to notice the conditions. And here's a little hint. They're very few. There's only two of them. Also, as we read through this tonight, I want you to notice how many times God says he will do something. And here's a little hint. There's a whole lot of times. When it comes to the conditions of the promise, of the promises of God, all of the, all of the promises are under a covenant condition, meaning you come into a covenant with the Lord. It's an agreement. It's like a marriage. It's a relationship that has a commitment with it. But here's what you need to know. All of the promises are dependent on covenant, but there's a whole lot of the promises that even if you're in covenant, God says, I will do this if you do something else. And this is really heavy on my heart tonight. And on really heavy on my heart as a pastor. Were we to do intercession prayer right now, I would probably sit down and weep over what I'm about to say. That so much of the church of Jesus Christ in this country and probably across the world, but definitely in this country, have received the salvation of God and they've received him for that promise and that's about it. And so they're not walking in the fullness of freedom. And man, when God, when God opens your eyes, when you have experiences with the Lord, when he increases your anointing, your spiritual hearing, your spiritual sight, and you just talk briefly to someone and you're like, this is spiritual. 
oh, I'm sick and all this bad stuff happens and I don't know, blah, blah, blah. It's just genetic. It's probably this. And I'm just sitting there going, it's spiritual. And if you would believe God, you would be free of all this. And every now and then you have a conversation like that with someone. Sometimes it goes well. In this church, in our church family, those conversations tend to go well because there's faith in this place. But man, every now and then God leads me to have a conversation like that with someone. And even as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, this, and they're not going to believe me. And I'll probably get persecuted for it, for telling them the truth. And the Lord's like, go ahead. And so I just hope this message, and I thought about preaching a few more on the promises since there's so many and it's such an important thing. But however long we spend on this, I just hope that this church learns to take God at his word. Just take him at his word. So this, there's conditions, there's promises. Let's go through this. Let's read Psalm 91 together. Starting in verse 1 says this, whoever, notice that's an open invitation to anybody, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will, everybody say will, rest in the shadow of the Almighty. We already have in verse 1, one condition and one promise. The condition is whoever will dwell in the shelter of the Most High God. What is the shelter of the Most High God and how do you dwell in it? It's a really important question. This is not just metaphor. There is a way to live your life where you can dwell with God and live under his shelter by which you will take hold of the promises of God. So what does it mean to dwell with God and live under his shelter? Well, we're going to talk about it in a few minutes. He says, if you will do this, you will rest in the shadow of of the Almighty. I wonder if anybody in this place could use some rest here tonight. This, you have to understand, the Bible talks a lot about God spreading his wings and we come under his uh, protection, under the shelter of his wings. We live under his shadow. It's the picture of like a mother hen spreading her wings over her, her baby chicks. You have to understand, this is an ancient Middle Eastern culture, a desert-like culture where if you didn't have shade during the day, you could die in one day. You could get second degree burns from the sun on your skin. You could get dehydrated in one day and be near death in this culture because of the desert-like conditions in the sun. You get dehydrated, you start getting a headache, you start getting cranky, you start to despair, you start to lose hope, you start to be discouraged, and I am describing some of y'all's daily life. You're spiritually dehydrated, and you need to come into the shade and the rest of Almighty God. Jesus said, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see, God told the Israelites that they did not enter his rest because they chose not to fulfill his conditions. They chose not to trust him. So he said in, in Hebrews, it says, therefore, he said, they'll never enter my rest. So Hebrews says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And Jesus said, come to me, hello, and I will give you that rest. So let me ask you, church, tonight, 
are the promises of the Old Testament for us today as Christians? That's a very important question. And there are pastors and there are preachers and there are church leaders who will tell you, oh, that's Old Testament. Yeah, those are promises to the nation of Israel. And these statements diminish faith in the people of God and they go against new covenant scripture. And we need to get this down before we move on and because there might be a mindset and some of you here tonight, well, this is Old Covenant, this is Psalm 91, this is the nation of Israel, this isn't for me. We, it's, it's part of the demonic strategy, especially in this country, to just, hey, it's all about salvation, heaven forever, and then just suffer through this life. And that's the mindset of a lot of Christians. That's the, that's the mindset of a lot of pastors and preachers and teachers. And I've just learned that that's not true. And our God is way better than that. If the covenant that came with the law through a mediator had glory with it, how much more is the glory that comes through the new covenant where the most holy place has just been ripped open through Jesus? Paraphrasing a lot of scripture there. But speaking of scripture, new covenant scripture, new covenant teaching to help us interpret this, what I'm saying, let me prove it to you. Romans 9 verse 6, the apostle Paul says, for not all who are descended from Israel physically are Israel. And he makes the case there and he, has, he talks about in Galatians that if you come to believe in Christ, you're adopted into God's family. We are spiritual Israel. We belong to the spiritual family of of God. And then in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, he says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen means so be it. And when we say when we pray and we say amen, your words are powerful, they have meaning. You're saying so be it. What that person just prayed, so be it to me, God. So be it to me. I love, I noticed this this week when I was studying into this. Paul says, no matter how many promises God has made. First of all, New Testament has not been written at this point. He's not talking about New Testament promises. He's referring to all the promises of the Old Testament. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisee. Like Everett R. Storms, Paul had read through the book many times. He's like, there's a lot of promises in here. And Paul had probably never meticulously counted like Everett R. Storms. So he's not sure how many. There's just a whole lot. And he's like, however many there are, they are all yes for us in Christ. That verse right there tells us Every single promise in the book, Old Testament, New Testament, is for us. We need to personalize it even further to overcome the shame and the self-deprecation in the room. They are for you. And your faith needs to rise to the level of Scripture and believe this is for me tonight. Whoever will dwell in the shadow of the Almighty will find rest, deep soul rest, the best rest you could ever imagine. In fact, you can work from rest. You can live from rest. How many of you had a vacation with your family and it wasn't rest? So even when we try to do rest in our flesh, it ain't rest. 
But when you're with the Lord, even when you're work, man, I feel pretty rested right now as I'm working for the Lord up here. When you're with him, everything's rest. Everything's out of rest. Jesus didn't have to perform or muster up strength or power when he did miracles. He just like, Father, okay. All right, get up, take your mat, let's go. Father says we're doing this one, get up. It was easy for him. And that's God's offer to you and me. If you're willing to receive it today, if you're willing to believe what I'm telling you, that these are all for you, would you just say with me in agreement tonight, it's for me. They're all for me. They're all yes for me in Christ. Amen. 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 So be it. So be it. So be it. So every, we've only got one promise so far out of 26 in this chapter, in one chapter of the Bible. So just know that. I have a friend that texts me and my wife scriptures all the time, and she inserts our names when God says he, him, the nation of Israel, and it, it just blesses my socks off. So if you ever see me not wearing socks, it's because of these texts that I get. <laughs> it says, verse 2, God says, I, or I'm sorry, the psalmist says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will, everybody say will. He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. These are two distinct promises from people or principalities that set traps for you to bring you down. Do you know what a pestilence is? It's a pandemic. Hello, COVID. How practical is the word of God? And I want to say from this point forward, when you read the word of God and you're reading about these promises, oh, he'll bring healing to you. He'll, he'll save you from fowler snare. Or from, How many of you have an actual fowler? Do you know what a fowler is? Someone who traps birds. How many of you have an actual fowler who's trying to trap you like a bird? Probably, probably nobody, right? Literally, it, that's most likely figurative, right? Speaking of Satan or people who try to trap you in your words or whatever. But then it says he'll save you from the pestilence. Is that literal or figurative? Here's my advice to you of how to interpret these types of scriptures. It's both. And you need to take it literally and you need to take it spiritually. Because if you only take it one way, you will miss out on half the promises of God. I also want to point out, these are not promises for one day when you get to heaven. Because are there people and principalities trying to trap you in heaven? No. Is there pestilence in heaven? No. Most of these promises of God deal with life on this earth. And so we need to learn to take him at his word. And we need to realize the godliness has value in this life and in the life to come. It's not just the life to come. The day you get saved, the life to come settled. Awesome. All those promises of God, the vast majority of them deal with this life. So you'll believe him for so much more. So he's promising to protect those who dwell with him. From 
the fowler's snare, from the traps of the enemy, and from pestilence, okay? From diseases, from pandemics. All right, verse four, he will, everybody say will. Cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will, everybody say will, be your shield and your rampart. I counted three more promises here, distinct. He will intentionally act to cover you with protection and favor. That's covering you with his wings. He'll be a shield. That's a defensive mechanism or operation of God in your life. And he'll be your rampart. These are different things. A rampart is an offensive weapon. And think about what a rampart does. A rampart is when you are laying siege to a demonic stronghold in your life or your family or your community. And if you could just figure out a way in there so you could bring the glory of God in there so that you could bring prayer and bless in the name of Jesus to see that people or that family or your spouse or your children or yourself set free. Man, if you could just get away in there and God goes, I'll give you away. Here's a rampart. Now climb up and get in there and bring some freedom. God says he will do that for you. He's promising you that. Verse five, you will not. Everybody say will. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. The last word there, plague at midday, it, I, I believe it's a bad translation. The, the literal word in Hebrew is the destruction at midday. And that's what the King James renders it. So you will not fear. Here's the promise. There's actually four. You won't fear terror of the night, literal fear of the dark, or spiritual, figurative, spiritual, the demonic presence of the night. You won't fear the arrow that flies by day, bullets. <laughs> if you live out near hunting ground, this is for you. You won't fear the bullets that are flying by your property. Man, if we were in the ghetto, y'all be like, amen, I'm not fearing those drive-bys, man. This is literal. You don't need to fear it. And it's figurative. You don't need to fear the arrows of the enemy nor the pestilence that stalks the darkness, the disease, natural or of the enemy, nor the, pla or the plague or destruction at midday. You don't need to fear these things. The word destruction there in the Hebrew, it literally has a, the connotation of a storm that destroys. So he's saying you don't need to fear the diseases that come in darkness, in dark times, and you don't need to fear storms that destroy like tornadoes hurricanes and of course figuratively the storms that the enemy sends our way verse 7 a thousand may fall at your side 10,000 at your right hand but it will not come near you you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked do you guys see how this is like not a supplication prayer. This isn't like asking, like God's telling you, this is going to happen. You can take it to the bank. You will, you will, you will, you will not, you will not, you will not. If you do these things God asks you to do. So a thousand may fall, it will not come near you. And you'll only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. These are two more promises in reference to warfare or disease. Again, 
The most brutal battles that would kill most people or diseases, pandemics that would kill most people will not come near you. And here's what we do in the church. When COVID was raging, we dumb it down, don't we? We dumb down the word of God. We water it. Well, that's not natural. That's, I mean, that's, that's a bit extreme to believe that you won't get sick, that you wouldn't die from that. I mean, it's, I mean, that's not natural, is it, church? We can admit that's not natural. It's supernatural. It's a supernatural blessing and favor from God. He says it will happen if. The connotation of these verses is odds do not matter to God. A thousand, I don't, God's saying, I don't care if a plague comes on the world that kills everybody. It ain't killing you if you'll take me at my word. Odds don't matter to God. Because with God, all things are possible. With God, nothing is impossible. And all things are possible, Jesus said, for the one who believes. So the onus of responsibility on whether things are possible or not are not on God. It's on us. First Samuel 14, 6. Jonathan, I believe the Lord loved Jonathan's spirit. Friend to David, you realize in line to be king and goes, no, man, that guy should be king. And now I'm going to serve him and I'm going to be his friend and I'm going to do everything I can to help that guy be lifted up. Boy, whew, that sounds like Jesus. I'll take the fall. You guys be kings in the earth. I'll take the fall. You guys walk in my power and authority. And Jonathan says in 1 Samuel 14, 6, remember that story? Hey, let's go over and see if God will give us victory against. It's like a whole platoon. It's like probably hundreds, if not a few thousand soldiers and him and one other guy. And what does he say? For nothing can stop the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He's like, odds don't matter to most high God. And so let me, let me say it this way to you tonight. If God calls you to do something, you can never use, well, that's impossible as an excuse. That sounds real good in church. That'll preach till God calls you to do something that's impossible. <laughs> then you're like, oh, but that's impossible. <laughs> but we can't use that excuse if God calls us to it. Because odds don't matter to God. And so the question is, did God call you to do it? I wrestle with that question a lot about the smallest things in my life. <laughs> Verse 9. If you say, condition alert, condition alert, condition alert, if. So we've got one condition already. This is the second. If you say, the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling. Notice he's repeating the first condition. Verse one. And God is telling us tonight, there's two conditions for all these promises. And by the way, this is it. Spoiler alert. We're only halfway through the psalm. The rest is all promises from here on out. Two conditions. Make the most high your dwelling. Make him your shelter. Stay in his shelter. And say, listen to me, church. Say with your mouth, the Lord is my refuge. We'll talk about why that's important before we end tonight. 
you do these things, comma, notice. God's like, I'm not done yet. (laughs) Delta Airlines may have stopped at $1,500, but I'm not done yet, God says. Verse 10, here's some more promises. No harm will overtake you. He's not promising you won't have harm in your life. He's saying it won't overtake you. It won't take you out. No disaster will come near your tent. Substitute house for tent. No disaster will come near my house or my house hold. Verse 11 and 12, for he will, everybody say will, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. These are two distinct promises. He'll command angels concerning you to guard and protect you. And how many of you know there are so many battles and so many accidents and so many bad things that we don't even know about because we were shielded from them. There's so much God revealed to me earlier this year. I was like, oh Lord, there's so much spiritual warfare. He's like, do you know how much warfare I spare you because angels are fighting for you and you don't even know it's happening? And I'm like, don't you love those humbling talks from dad, the dad talks from God? He, he gives them every now and then. Go read Job if you don't believe me. <laughs> Who are you? It's like, uh, okay. <sighs> mm. <sighs> I'm getting blessed up here, guys. Some of y'all are praying in here like, bless him, God. I'm getting blessed. Stop it. I can't move on. If I get too blessed, God's going to move tonight in some powerful ways. Thank you, Jesus. He protects us from so much. Shielding, protection, that's one distinct promise. The other is they will lift you up. Angels will put their hands on you to move you physically so you don't get hurt. I had a friend that was in a car accident one time. Guy came across center. Uh, doesn't know why, right? Middle of the day, he just all the both going full on 60 miles an hour. He swerves to miss, rolls his car several times. Car lands right side up. He's looking around. He gets out and goes and checks on the other guy. That guy's fine, didn't roll his car, only later realizes I don't have a scratch on me. It's as if a hand held him in his seat and was like, you know what? Let's just gonna be a fun carnival ride, not a car wreck. And you're fine. He will command angels concerning you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, you know in your family or extended family or a very good friend of yours that's very trustworthy, not not somebody you don't know, you have on good authority, you know someone that has had an experience like that where something really bad happened and they should have died, they should have experienced something horrific and they did not. Would you just raise your hand if you know of a story like that? Look around this room, church. Look around this room. Look around this room. 
The Lord wanted me to do that tonight, to open our eyes. How often he commands angels concerning us. This is one of the verses in scripture where we get the idea of a guardian angel. And I believe we do have them. And I believe we have angels assigned to us just as surely as the enemy is assigning his demons. But God gives them orders. God will command. We don't need to command angels because he will on our behalf. Verse 13, more promises. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Two more distinct promises. And how many of you know he's not talking about furry critters? He's talking about demonic principalities and demonic entities. And it's interesting, the word tread, if God meant the same thing, he would have used the same word, and he didn't. Tread and trample are two different words in the Hebrew here. The word tread means you're just walking. And, the, and it goes with the lion and the cobra. Now, lions are pretty fierce. Our enemies, what? Like a roaring lion prowling around, Scripture says. The devil and the, and the cobra, the word in Hebrew here is snake in this verse. And the connotation is, well, let me explain the second one, then I'll explain the difference. The second one says you'll trample. Tread means you, you're just walking. Trample is you are intentionally stomping on something to crush it. And it says when you're just treading, you'll, you'll be walking and, and tramp. You'll be, you'll, be, <laughs> you'll be crushing the heads of demons just walking through life and you won't even realize it. It'll be like these little snakes. You didn't even see it and, and you stepped on it and you didn't even realize it. That's the connotation of that first part. The second one is you'll trample on the great lion and the serpent. That word serpent there, again, is not a great translation. It means the great dragon. It reads a little different. As you're just walking through life, there's little demonic things that you're just trampling on. And they're like, ah, and you don't even realize it because of how you're walking with God. But when you get into a big fight and you know it's a fight and you know this is a bigger deal, Don't worry because you will trample. You will intentionally crush the head of even the dragon. So the word of God is saying, doesn't matter little or or big, small or mighty demonic force of evil. Doesn't matter. Who does that sound like? I would say Jesus in Luke 10, 18 and 19. He's given us authority and power to trample on snakes and scorpions. He's using same verbiage, same language here. I wonder where he got it from. You'll trample on snakes and scorpions. You'll overcome all the power of the enemy. He's he's summarizing this psalm. He's saying, doesn't matter how much power Satan has, you'll you'll overcome all the power of the enemy. And here's, uh, by the way, Psalm 91, guys, nothing will harm you. As you're trampling on snakes and scorpions and even the dragon himself. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. These are for me. These are for you. It's not just for some mighty Christian. It's not just for Billy Graham. It's not just for Jesus. This is for his people. Every promise of God is a yes for us in Christ Jesus. Verse 14 
More promises. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will. Everybody say will. Rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Two more distinct promises. Rescue and protection from God. Verse 15. He will call on me and I will answer him. You will pray and you will experience. Here's the promise. You will experience answer prayers. When you pray, God will move. When you pray. And one day you will get to the place where you, like the Apostle James, if we could call him that, the pillar of the early church. Well, Elijah was just a man like us. What could cause a man to say Elijah was just a man like that, like us? Probably he's prayed some prayers that... You don't go saying stuff like that if you don't have a track record. <laughs> James has prayed some prayers at that point. He's seen the Lord move on his behalf. And he goes, hey guys, listen, this is for all of us now. <laughs> Elijah was a man like us. This is for me. This is for you. God will answer your prayers. Again, are these promises for us? Well, what did Jesus say about it? Answered prayer. John 14, 13. And I will do Whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son, Jesus said. John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Matthew 21, 22, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Because of Jesus, Psalm 91, all of it's for us. More promises in the next part of the verse. God says, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Three more distinct promises. He'll be with you in trouble. And in that trouble, God says, I will deliver you and honor you. He will deliver you and honor you as he's with you in trouble. We need to reconfigure how we think God shows his favor on our lives. And the enemy wants us to think, if God loves me and if he favors me, I'll never have trouble. I'll never go through anything hard. That's not what it says. And it's consistent throughout scripture. God says all the time, Jesus, promise from Jesus, in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> it's promise. Take to the bank. But take heart. I've overcome. Psalm 34 says that the righteous have many troubles, many troubles, but the Lord will deliver him from them all. The promise of God is not that we won't have trouble. It's when we have trouble, we have God and he will deliver us and help us through it and get us out of it. That's his promise. But I find it interesting. It says he'll deliver us as we're going through trouble. And he'll honor us. It reminds me of Daniel and his three friends. Daniel, <laughs> what's Daniel famous for? If we were teaching kids today, Daniel and the lion's den. lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. They're famous for trouble they went through. And why is it thousands of years later, we're still teaching our children their stories? Because they honored God 
through their trouble. God honored them through their trouble and they became famous as people that God moved mightily on behalf of. So God shut the mouths of lions on behalf of the one who is highly esteemed, Daniel. Jesus, I believe, a theophany is a big theological word that means an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament pre-incarnation. There was another in the fire. Right? We sing about it tonight again in that other song we sang. You've been my fourth in the fire time after time. Jesus, I believe, or an angel, appears in the fiery furnace, delivers them out of it. Notice, notice he didn't deliver them from it. He delivered them through it. When they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. And then the king that put them in there ends up believing in the Lord because of the miracle he saw. What if the Lord allows you to go through some horrific things in life so that he can do miracles and glorify his name through your life? Nobody wants to have to do that or go through that, but I'm telling you that's a pattern we see in scripture. And that is an honor because God will only allow that for people that he knows will be faithful and who will trust him. And so you'll have faith. And he'll honor your faith. And you will become known as someone that God moves mightily on behalf of. There's some of them here tonight. And we know their stories. This is the last verse of this song. And there's two more promises in it. With long life, I will satisfy him and will show him my salvation. A long life on this earth. And again, in the church in America, for whatever reason, we want to dumb down faith in people. I don't get it. I don't get it when I hear preachers and teachers and church leaders dumb down faith, water down faith in people, intentionally quench and diminish faith in people. Well, you can't believe God, yet you're going to live a long life. I mean, God doesn't promise us that. He actually does. He actually really does. Uh, well, that's old covenant. Uh, all the promises are yes for us in Christ. If you will believe him for them. And if you still don't believe me, go read, what is it? Ephesians 5, I believe, or 6. Ephesians 5, I think. Husbands love your wives and all that. And then I think 6, is it 6? He gets into fathers don't exasperate your children. And children obey and honor your parents. For it's the first commandment with a promise, you will have a long life in the land. It's repeated in the new covenant. A prom- Billy Graham lived to be 99 years old. That To me, that's a long life. Because the psalm says we have lived 70 or 80 years if we have the strength. So Billy Graham lives to be 99. How many of you thought as Billy Graham was getting up there, you're like, well, it's Billy Graham. I mean, God's clearly honoring him with a long life. Anybody ever have those thoughts? I know I did. I saw him preach when he was in his 80s in Indianapolis and when I was 15. I'm so thankful for that experience. I was already saved and I was, he gave me the invitation. I'm like, oh God, take me again, you know? Seriously, I'm telling you, heavy glory conviction. Still remember it. I saw Franklin Graham preach probably 10 years later. I was probably 25 years old at a conference. 
the first 10 minutes of his message, he's all meek and humble. He's like, no, I'm not my father. And my father had a special anointing of the Lord. And he's going on and on and on and on. And, you know, he's like, but the gospel has the power of God. And he started, and I was like, oh, same conviction. Oh, man, you got the anointing. It's passing on to you. (laughs) Billy Graham lived to be 99 years old. I think we'd all agree, a man blessed and favored by God. Was it because he was a man of God? Perhaps he made God his dwelling. Perhaps he said, the Lord is my refuge. Maybe, though, it's because he honored his parents. Or maybe it's all the above. I don't know. All I know is the word of God, it is a promise. There are some faith-filled people in this room who encourage me by their faith. And they say things to me like, we should live a full life to old age. And yeah, one day we'll lay this body down, this tent. But we're meant to live a full life serving, so we can serve the Lord all our years. And anything less than that, we've, we've made a compromise somewhere. And we've allowed the enemy to steal something from us. And I remember the first few times I heard people say that in this church very early on and I was you know in my young 30s and I was kind of like I don't know about that I want to research that I'd research it and guess what promises if if you'll have a long life and and you'll see my salvation now that's talking about eternity this whole psalm the very last one's about eternity all the other 25 are about this life And for some reason in the American church, all we want to do is talk about eternity. And I don't know about you, but I got that squared away about 20 years ago. So now what? Right? (sighs) You know, when Billy Graham passed away, is February 21st, 2018. And there's a real well-known post that was posted that day of a quote from one of his sermons. He said, one day, the day is going to come that you'll hear that Billy Graham has died. And he said, do not believe a word of it. (laughs) I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. So, pretty amazing promises, huh? There's two conditions. Make the most high your dwelling. Stay in his shelter. Those go together. If you live Nearness, being in his shadow implies nearness. Stay in that shadow. Stay near to God. Make him your dwelling, your shelter. Live your whole life with God. And say with your mouth, the Lord is my refuge. You've heard me talk about a lot over the last several months in the spiritual warfare series that there are spiritual laws. And part of those spiritual laws you, even as a believer, you have free will. And if you do things that are not of God, if you say things that are not of God, and here's the deal, whether you realize it's of God or not, whether you realize it or not, if it's not of God and you engage in something or if you step out in something, you're stepping out from underneath his protection. And listen, you, you can still be on your way to heaven and that still happened to you. And it's out from under his wings, out from under his shadow, out from under his protection, his covering, that the enemy is allowed to bring storms, sickness, disease, depression, so on, accidents, death, untimely death, 
so on and so on and so on and so on. That should cause a, a rising of the fear of the Lord in us. First Corinthians 11, 29 through 31, talk, Paul's talking about communion, not discerning the body of the Lord. You're not taking it seriously. These people were getting drunk. It's not just like being kind of casual. Like they were getting drunk on communion wine. Getting drunk is a sin. You're out from under the protection and covering, and you're doing it at church with wine that's supposed to represent the blood of Jesus. That's extremely irreverent. That's an even greater offense. That's not just the guy getting drunk at the bar on Saturday night. That's even worse in God's eyes. And so Paul says, because you're doing that, that's why some of you are weak physically, you're sick physically, and you're dying prematurely. Some of you. That's what Paul said. That's scripture, guys. Scripture says that. That should cause a rise of the fear of the Lord in us. And listen, it goes on to say these people are disciplined in this way for being irreverent so they can still go to heaven. He disciplines their body so they don't continue down a destructive path and blaspheme the Lord their whole life and end up in hell. No. So in other words, they're still going to heaven, but in this life they've stepped out from underneath the protective covering of God. So these promises, they They're not promises for them. They're not fulfilling that condition. That's why living righteously is so important. One of the reasons. Also, it pleases God. He's a person. He has feelings. We don't want to displease him. Also, it's being a good witness of Jesus. And so on and so on. The second condition is say with your mouth, the Lord is my refuge. Say it with your mouth. Isn't that interesting? Don't just believe in your heart. Say it with your mouth. And I want you to notice, this is not a supplication prayer. Oh, Lord, please be my refuge. Lord, can I come into you, please, and have you keep me safe? No, it's declaring the Lord is my refuge. Declarations are powerful, and they should be a part of our prayer lives. And there's, there's some Christians, there's a whole vein of Christianity in this culture declarations aren't of God. We shouldn't make declarations and all this stuff. People who believe that have not read their Bibles yet enough. The Psalms are our prayer training manual. Do you know that? And God's so good, he sets them to music and we get to sing our prayers and make them more fun and they feel really good. But the Psalms are our prayer manual. It's how to pray. In poetic form. The Psalms are full of declarations. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will live and not die, and I shall declare the works of the Lord. And I could go on and on about declarations in the Psalms. Well, that's Old Covenant. No. No. If you say the Lord is my refuge, declare it. Declarations are powerful. They're for two persons. They're, for, they're not for God. <laughs> he knows it already. They're for us, and they're for principalities. They're for demons. They're for us because it's with your heart you believe, 
And no matter what you know, sometimes your heart's not in a believing posture or it's believing a lie. And the enemy has some access and there's torment and there's strongholds and there's warfare. And when you realize that and you say a declaration, that's the truth of the word of God that moves in the opposite spirit of what you've been believing under the radar. Guess what? You're making an intentional act to say it. You're bringing your heart into alignment with the word of God. And all of a sudden, the warfare loses its hold on you. So the next time you're feeling down on yourself, you're feeling depressed, try writing out a declarative. Not just, oh, God, please help me. Take this depression. He didn't do it. Why? Oh, I'm still in it. And I spent a half an hour praying and asking, and it didn't work. Read the word of God. Get the truth. Write down what you're feeling and what you're believing. And say, don't say this is true. Say, I feel, God. I feel like you're not with me, God. I feel like you like everybody else more than me. And I see people having favor and I don't get that. I feel like, and you just write down the things you're feeling. Write it down. You can pray that to God, by the way. Also read the Psalms. (laughs) Right? But almost every Psalm that's depressing, (laughs) there's a turn at some point. And it goes, but I know this. So write down what you feel and then write down a declarative prayer. But I know God is with me. God knows the number of hair on my head. God knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He loves me. Declare it. And there's a whole lot more than that. Write them out. Declare them and see if that cloud starts to lift a little bit. Why? You're bringing your heart into alignment with truth. So the warfare has less of a authority in your life. And then the demons, when you speak, a sword comes out of his mouth. And when you say the truth, the sword's coming out of your mouth. And demons flee. There, he's believing it. Get out of the way. <laughs> Run for cover. He's making declarations. <laughs> so make God your dwelling. Declare with your mouth. And it's powerful to claim the promises and declare, I've made God my dwelling. And so this is true for me. This is what's going to happen in my life. I, before I preached this sermon and before I felt led to preach this sermon, I woke up one night and I had a vision of us standing in the living room of like our new house that we bought. We're renovating a house. Pray for us. Pray for us. All right. And uh, it's kind of got a loft thing and there's a wall there. And I looked up and I saw... Whew, this blank wall, and you know how like when there's bare studs you go through and you write the, the verses on the wall, you know, everybody kind of does that now, it's like a thing, you know, it's in scripture by the way, you know, write, write them on the doorposts of your houses and all that, right, and I looked up and I saw like, just had a mental vision picture of uh, Psalm 91 written on there, and this is the middle of the night, I woke up, I was like, oh yeah, and it's like, I just knew we should do that, and then we should stand there as a family and read it and pray it together over our new house, and over our property and over our family. And be like, this is for us. This, this house really isn't our dwelling. The Lord is our dwelling. And he is our refuge. And so last week, I think it was, we did that. We took our kids there. We, I played a few worship songs. We sang a few worship songs. And I, I told the kids, as we're doing this, think about scriptures that you might want to write in your room or somewhere in this house while it's still under construction and then we'll cover it with paint. We'll know that that's there and all that. And so they did that. We all did that. 
And I knew what mine was, and we got done. And while they all scattered and were doing their thing with the Lord, I wrote the entire Psalm 91 on this big wall in our house. And then we all got done. I said, everybody, come here. I, I told him, we're going to read through this, but this is for us. This is for our family. And by the way, we do have hunting land surrounding us, and we hear gunshots. And when we got to the part that's like, we will not fear the terror of the night. No more being afraid of the dark when we move into this house. Oh, you better believe I'm claiming that promise over my kids so they don't end up in bed with me again and again. You know what I'm saying? Come on, there's benefits, parents, to the promises. <laughs> it's the little things, man. And so I was like, we're not going to fear bullets. We're not going to fear accidents happening at this house because they're not going to. If there's another pandemic in the world, we're not going to be afraid of getting sick in this house. And if we ever get sick out there, we'll come into this house and we'll be healed in Jesus' name. We're going to trample on snakes and scorpions in the world, and we're going to do it in this house. We're going to do warfare. And we don't need to fear the property because there's woods on there and, you know, at night. We're not going to fear that. Why? Because there's no demons here. They can't stand to be on this property. There are angels. He's commanded angels, and they're standing guard on this property. And if we ever feel like there's a presence here, it's the Lord or it's an angel. That's pretty cool. And we prayed through this whole psalm together. And so here's some homework for you guys tonight. Pray Psalm 91 this week every day. Pray it over you and your family. This is for me. Simple prayer. God, I repent of any way that I've not made you my dwelling, that I've stepped out from under your protection. In fact, God, would you please show me if there's any words I've said or things I've done that have done that? I will gladly repent. I repent. I turn from that. God, I make you my dwelling. And I say today, the Lord is my refuge. Pray that. Pray that this week. And then pray through this psalm. And so on our website, freepeople.church slash pray. It's a prayer page with a lot of great prayers on there for different house blessing prayer, John Eldridge daily prayer that we use a lot, spiritual warfare prayer. Um, there's gonna be this prayer and it's gonna be the first one on there if you go to that URL and it's Psalm 91 personalized where you're reading through it like the Lord is, for this is for me and it's got some places in there where you don't say he, him, you say you insert your name. God is doing this for me because I have made him my refuge. I have made him my dwelling place. Amen? And this is your homework, to pray this every day this week. And I would challenge you, if, if you have a family, if you have kids, spouse, pray with your family. Like, hey, we learned this at church. Let's pray it. Time, every bed, bedtime prayers with the fam. Hey, guys, we're going to pray through Psalm 91 tonight. I'm going to close with this thought. <sighs> I was praying into this this past week. This message, I think it was on Tuesday, early this week. And uh, I heard the Lord saying in my spirit, I'm just looking for someone to believe me. Delta Airlines needed someone to switch flights. So they were offering a promise. And many people didn't take them up on that promise because they thought it was too good to be true. Perhaps they thought it was too inconvenient what they were asking them to do. Or maybe they didn't want to wait that long. But it was really that simple. For those who believed, did what they said, they got $1,500. God is just looking for some people to believe him.
and take him at his word. If you will believe him and make him your refuge, live in his covering, and say with your mouth, the Lord is my refuge, he will do everything that he said he will do. And so if you want to take him up on this promise, I'm going to invite you to tell him today, now, right now, before we leave this place, that you want to live under his covering. And I want you to be committed to doing whatever that takes. And then you just say with your mouth, you're my refuge. The Lord is my refuge. You declare it. Declare it. And if you're willing to do that and mean it, really mean it, He's going to bless your life immensely. The Lord's going to be delivering some people tonight. Yeah. He's going to be delivering some people from some fear and some unbelief. All it takes is a mustard seed. All it takes is you being willing to believe enough to do what he says. That's it. That's the principle of the mustard seed. Just believe enough to be obedient. If you will believe enough to make him your dwelling, to abstain from the things he says to stay out of, and to do the things he says to do, He's going to do everything that he just said in his word for you. He will do it, God says. This is why repentance, church, is so important. Pride has no place in the church. This is why being humble is so important. And so if God's promising us, he'll always protect us, and we find we get into a place where we're not protected or harm comes on us, Harm is overtaking us. We need to be humble and we need to examine ourselves. How many of you know the problem is not with God and the problem is not with his word? We need to examine ourselves. And we need to go, wait a second, did I get off track? Was there some way I'm not living under his covering? And then repent from those things. Turn from them. Get them out of your life. Stop doing the things that you shouldn't be doing. Start doing the things that he calls you to do. Dwell with God. Would you guys just stand with me as we close? And I feel led to pray for you in a specific way. And it's kind of strange. I've never prayed this way before. But I had this vision earlier today and just saw this in my spirit happening and 
first I'm going to lead you in a prayer that we just that I just talked about making God your dwelling and saying the Lord is my refuge and I'm going to pray something over you so if you would just repeat after me (sighs) say dear Lord Jesus I repent and I turn from anything that's not of you. I repent and I turn from any bad attitudes I've had that were not of you. I repent and I turn from any negative words that I've said that are not of you. I repent and I turn from anything I've listened to and allowed in my ears that is not of you. I repent and I turn from anything I've watched or engaged in visually that's not of you. I want to dwell with you. I turn from these things. And I make you my dwelling tonight. And now just declare this with me. The Lord is my refuge. <laughs>